If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. It's been a while, hasn't it? I was enjoying a thoroughly enjoyable summer holiday, and then... All this Eurovision news comes along. Here we are, we're back. (laughs) We are back. And it's good to be back. We've enjoyed the break, but we're back because you don't need us to tell you what news dropped earlier on. The UK are hosting Eurovision 2023. The words I don't think any of us thought we'd ever say. But then equally, the news that we've sort of been anticipating for the last four or five weeks since the news sort of got confirmed in June, has now officially been confirmed that Eurovision is heading to the UK in less than 12 months' time. Blimey. Here we are, our first bonus episode of the Eurovision 2023 (laughs) season, and it's only July. It's time for the Euro trip. As you know, Alessandro always said, take it away. Hi, we are Dali Okakamaknev, and you're listening to Euro trip. But I don't close any doors. I love Eurovision, I love Lindisfarne, and it will always be a part of me. That night, I found myself live on Russian state television for, for Russia's Song for Europe. I said to Joe, send BBC Teenage Life. Maybe two weeks later, I was at a press conference, and I was on Making Your Mind Up. Everyone was like, Eldar, 
Come, celebrate with us. The end of filming, they put honey on my face and I needed to be, you know, sexy with this honey on my face. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And this week we are back with our first bonus emergency podcast of the Eurovision 2023 season. Oh, how I have longed to hear those words. Bonus emergency podcast. <laughs> you know, if you're a regular listener, we love doing them every now and again during the Eurovision season. And this is probably the earliest one we've ever done. It's July. It's not even August. It's not even September. Technically, the Eurovision New Year hasn't even started yet. Yeah, are we allowed to call it the 2023 season yet? I'm really not sure if we are, but that's what we're going to be talking about. Eurovision 2023 with a whole host of esteemed guests, including the EBU. We're going to be chatting to Dave Goodman. He's the communications lead for the EBU. So we're going to be getting his perspective on today's news. We'll also be chatting to friend of the podcast, podcast regular. We love her, Bella Quist. Of course, you know her as one of the English language commentators at Melody Festival. And we've had her on plenty of times before. But she is a Eurovision fan, just like me and you. So we want to share the excitement of the announcement with her. Who else are we going to be chatting to? Well, we're going to be chatting to a TV expert. Now, we all know what a massive event Eurovision actually is, but it's also a massive technical undertaking for the broadcast next year, the BBC. So we're going to be chatting to Fernand Frimpong Jr. who will be telling us all about what a technical achievement Eurovision actually is. And we know just how many cities are going to be in the running to host Eurovision this year. The lengths and breadths of the country, cities all over, are going to want Eurovision 2023. So we'll be heading to one of the potential host cities in a little while. So we've got all that and more to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. So this is the Eurotrip. We've already mentioned back with you far sooner than we expected. Because, of course, the exciting news that the UK will host Eurovision 2023. Not a sentence I thought I would say. So, at the start of today's bonus episode, there was only one person we had to speak to. Because she is, of course, one of, if not, our favourite guests. So we had to get her thoughts on the news that we've heard today. Formerly a UK resident, speaking to us from Sweden, and a Swede herself, with plenty of experience of the Eurovision Song Contest. Hello, Bella Kvist. Hello, thank you for the lovely introduction. I'm very flattered. Wow, where do we begin? I can't believe we're actually saying this, that the UK will host the Eurovision Song Contest, as you say, next year. Um, obviously, really sad for Ukraine, but thrilled for the UK coming in second to be able to, to do this. And, um, you know, maybe one day when, uh, now that the UK are on the roll with their entries, uh, when the UK wins next, maybe, you know, they can offer it back to the to Ukraine. So, uh, yeah, super thrilled to hear it. Now I'm just, you know, dying to hear what city it'll be in. Can you recreate your reaction for us, Bella? Because as, as Rob introduced you, you are formerly a UK resident. So this is sort of your, like, second Eurovision home country in a way, isn't it? What was it like when you heard that the UK was going to host Eurovision? Absolutely. Oh my God, I screamed out loud. I just was, you know, I'm here out in the countryside in Sweden on my holiday, just casually looked over my phone as it sort of uh, blinked and I saw the BBC uh, news notification and I just screamed out loud, 
because yeah, as you say, I've lived in the UK for 13 years. So I, I do consider it sort of my second home. And uh, I know how much this means to so many people in the UK who love Eurovision. And um, yeah, I was just, oh my God, I need to tell everyone, you know, group chats on fire. Um, and then the notification came from the Swedish broadcaster as well. And my phone hasn't stopped going off since. Um, super thrilled. I just know how many people have wanted this for so long. And, you know, if Sam Ryder came in second, he did such a brilliant job last year, uh, this year rather. Um, I just think it's super well-deserved. And um, yeah, as I say, hopefully, you know, one day we can swap it back for the Ukraine to, to host it maybe when, when the UK wins or something like that. Um, but yeah, just beyond ecstatic, you know, this is a lot of people, um, you know, they follow football or sports, but for me, Eurovision really is my, sports and this feels like it's coming home <laughs> <laughs> be honest Bella how many text messages or whatsapps have you already sent to friends in the UK after somewhere to stay depending on where Eurovision ends up next year <laughs> okay I'm going to be brutally honest with you there are already Airbnb bookings that have been made previously to this I won't say where but bookings have been made in strategic places because you know we did have an inkling that this might happen that you know the UK said that they might um, host it maybe so there was this feeling that it was sort of in the air so to be on the safe side of booked a couple of spots so um yeah but also to anyone listening if it happens to be in a you know I don't know where uh I'll be coming to stay for sure <laughs> <laughs> don't worry Bella if it goes to London I'm already knocking on Rob's door and I reckon if it comes to Newcastle he's going to be knocking on my door so I think we're all in the same boat there <laughs> excellent <laughs> uh, can you give us an idea Bella what it's like when Eurovision actually comes to town because there's so many people in the UK right now who probably weren't even alive when it last came to the UK in Birmingham 1998. You've got experience of it coming to Sweden a couple of times over the last decade. What's it like for fans in the host country when Eurovision actually rocks up? Oh, it's just the best. Um, so I was in Stockholm 2016 when it was there and the whole city was just full of happiness and joy it's like what can I compare it to I guess a big pride parade in a sense but also just uh for absolutely everyone to be part of this big uh party and there's just music everywhere and um that was the first year for me that I had uh, the press accreditation so I was behind the scenes as well and that was just mind-blowing to be able to do that um yeah it's just a big giant party I know in, in Stockholm, they had this big the sort of Euro club that a lot of fans and press go to, this nightclub. They had that set up uh, along the water just below the castle. Uh, so that was stunning. And uh, I remember me and Olivia, my co-commentator from Melody Festival, and uh, we met there for the first time and we danced all night long and it was just, ah, I have so many wonderful memories from that week because it you know it really turns into a week then it's not just the one night of course a lot of fans follow it for a long time but for, I think for the for the inhabitants of that city um, another country even um, you know you really see it for what it is not just the one night uh, on telly but like the whole sort of community spirit really comes alive when you're there and a part of it so I'm so thrilled for whatever city gets to host Eurovision next year. Speaking about the fans and the residents in the UK, whichever city it ends up being, 
what's going to be the best way for people to enjoy the Eurovision experience when it comes to whichever city it goes to? Because we've all been fans, we've all been out to a certain city. Uh, I've been out to Lisbon. Rob, you went to Vienna a few years ago as a fan. What about the people in the city that it comes to? How can they embrace Eurovision? How can they enjoy it? Because it's going to sort of take over their lives, isn't it, for about six months before it actually even gets there, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think you'll miss it. I definitely don't think you'll be able to miss it being in your town. No, I would say um, I definitely try and like, I mean, if you're interested, but even if you've never been to Eurovision or you never, you know, you don't really know what it is. I think definitely try and get tickets for, for you know, a rehearsal show or something like that, because it's it's just a super fun experience for, for all the family as well. Um, and try and, you know, uh, get involved with it and see what it what it's like. Uh, and then I think you'll notice as well that there are a lot of new people in town. So absolutely an opportunity to make lots of new friends and um, just have a great time. So Bella, so far for the UK, where they've hosted it, we've had London, Edinburgh, Brighton, Harrogate, Birmingham. For you, with your connections, is it Sheffield 2023? Where's it going to be? Uh, of course, I would love it. You know, I, I lived in Sheffield for many years, so uh, I know Sheffield would love that. Uh, I remember back in the day when we weren't able to find a pub that would, would show it when we wanted to. Uh, but things have changed. Uh, that would be brilliant. Um, oh, gosh. I've, oh, there's been a lot of talk about Glasgow, hasn't there? I just have this little inkling. But you just never know. I, I saw just recently BBC put something out where the Glasgow wasn't mentioned. So, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts? Have you, have you got any insight? I feel like you guys have probably got more of an insider scoop than I do being in the UK. I wish we did. I really wish we did. But we'll find out soon. It won't be long. It won't be long. Just a few weeks, I reckon. And we'll mm. know who's hosting Eurovision 2023. Bella, we had to get you on because we, we had to share the excitement with someone that we know loves it just as much as we do. So uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Euro trip. And we'll see you in the UK in 2023. Oh my God, can't wait. <laughs> this is the Euro trip. Ah, so great to have Bella back on the podcast and it's a surprise to us still that we're chatting Eurovision in July. We honestly didn't think we'd be chatting about it for at least another month or so but here we are and we're so thankful to all of you and I reckon we've got a whole host of new listeners tuning in to find out what on earth is going on and how on earth this has come around. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Eurovision 2023. It's good to be back though, isn't it? Like it is good to be back. It's been a while, but it's good to be back. I've still got the dust on the microphone mess <laughs> now. It's come out of the cupboard, but I've missed the podcast. So yeah, here we are. I mean, you've missed me, I suppose. This is me directing this to you, James, not you listeners. That'd be a bit self-indulgent if it was there talking to you directly. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah, I, I guess I've missed you a little bit. Let's put it a that little way. bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I do want to ask you a quick question because I've not asked you this yet. I've not found out. What were you doing when the news broke earlier today? What were you doing when you found out? Honestly, it was a very boring household task. I was hanging out the washing. I've got a big weekend, <laughs> so there was quite a lot of washing to do. Uh, which makes it sound like I had some sort of accident. And uh, <laughs> I was hanging out the washing and I came back in and I'd left my phone in the kitchen and I looked and uh, yeah, the chat that me and you were in had an awful lot of messages. Uh, and yeah, someone was like, it's uh, it's happened, the announcement, it's happening. I was like, what's happening, what announcement? So yeah, that was all very dramatic. You? 
Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know why I brought that question up, because then I thought you'd ask me, and it's such an unglamorous answer. I was tucking into a microwavable pizza for my lunch. Was it that early? I think that was quite an early lunch, wasn't it? I was dead on 12 for my lunch. 12 o'clock oh, is lunch time. I can't have lunch at 12, I tell you. <laughs> if I have lunch at 12, I'm hungry later on. It has to be 1 o'clock or later. Right, here we go. First episode back of the season. We're already talking about food. Rob's favourite subject. So, what time do you have your lunch at Eurasia? <laughs> no, i No, I would like to ask a quick, quick question there. What were you doing when you found out? Were you out for a walk? Were you at work and you let out a little yelp? We'd love to hear. Tweet us at Eurotrip Podcast. Get in touch with us on Instagram at Eurotrip Podcast there as well. Or send us an email, hello at EurotripPodcast.com. What were you doing when you found out today's very exciting Eurovision news? This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. So this is the Eurotrip Podcast, and it feels good to say those words after a couple of months away. Here we are with a bonus episode with more words I didn't think I'd say as the UK get ready to host Eurovision 2023. We've got some great guests on the way. Great to have Bella Kvist earlier as well. We love her, of course, here on the podcast. And I think it's safe to say we'll be hearing much more from her between now and the contest in May, wherever that may be. But James, we are very lucky to have secured an interview with the actual EBU. The actual EBU. If you are a new Eurovision fan or a new listener to the podcast, the EBU is the European Broadcasting Union. They are effectively the bosses of the Eurovision Song Contest. They are the ones who look after it. It's like a parent to the Eurovision Song Contest itself. And we thought, let's get somebody on from the EBU to find out what's been going on over the last few weeks to get to this point where we finally know it's the BBC who are going to be organising next year's event. Yeah, the last time we caught up with this man was in the press centre in Turin when we were hopeful of an exciting week. Of course, we know what happened after that. <laughs> but Dave Goodman is the communications lead at the European Broadcasting Union. He has seen many a Eurovision come and go. So he is the perfect man to talk to about how we got here. So that was my first question. Well, it's been a, quite a journey since Turin. <laughs> Obviously, we've uh, been discussing lots of different possibilities with uh, UAPBC, the Ukrainian national broadcaster, who, of course, won this year's contest. Uh, but as you know, back in June, um, we assessed you know, the possibilities and uh, what we could do in, in Ukraine and, and regretfully had to conclude, of course, that it's just um, impossible right now to start planning an event in, in Ukraine. So we had to look at other options, and we, we did that with at UAPBC, but also with the BBC as well as as the country and the broadcaster that came second in this year's competition, um, it made sense to to offer them the opportunity to host on the on behalf of uh, UAPBC. And uh, with a lot of conversations uh, behind the scenes and discussions, we finally managed to find a, an agreement, which uh, which is great for everybody because we get to go back to the UK after 25 years. Um, and of course, Ukraine's win is not forgotten and gets to be reflected um, and honoured by the BBC in next year's hosting. So it's going to be a very different Eurovision next year. But but uh, because of that, I think uh, a very special one. I think it needs to be remembered, doesn't it, that of course, while you know people in the UK and various parts of Europe are excited about the news that Eurovision is going, going to be in the United Kingdom next year, we have to remember, of course, the reason why that is, and 
Ukraine winning Eurovision in 2022. Unfortunately, they can't host it. So it's really important, isn't it, Dave? And you've already mentioned there, it's going to be a Eurovision like no other next year in that Ukraine are celebrated and it is remembered that it is the Eurovision that follows a Ukrainian victory. Yes, and that's really important. And we said that back in June when we announced that we were going to start conversations with the BBC, that it was really important for the EBU and all its members that that the win is reflected next year, that whoever took on that uh, that honour of hosting on behalf of Ukraine made sure that the win, um, the Kalusha's win, the song and Ukrainian culture as well is represented because uh, it's really important that the hosting is, is happening not in the winning country through no fault of the winning country this year, uh, which is different. Uh, from other occasions when uh, the BBC itself actually has stepped in four times, of course, we know, uh, but other countries as well in the earlier years of Eurovision. Uh, this is a very unique situation, so it was really important that uh, that next year's contest, the, the winners of this year are not forgotten and they are indeed celebrated and reflected in, in the whole event, not just the TV shows, but everything that goes on in whatever city we find ourselves in in the UK. And I will ask you, obviously, more about that in a second. I think fans will will want to to hear, and fans listening to this will want to know, you know, just how extensive were those those conversations with with UAPBC, you know, the Ukrainian broadcaster after that win in Turin in May. Well, we always have long conversations and very detailed conversations with all the winning broadcasters, of course, to plan for the following year. So. Uh, we, we spoke a lot with, with UAPBC about uh, possibilities and, and we asked them, as we said in June, to, to do a, a very thorough uh, assessment of, of the hosting possibilities and the security uh, challenges. And uh, there's been a lot of dialogue between, between us and UAPBC, as you would expect every year, but particularly this year, of course, because it was, you know, very much hoped that, that we could bring the contest there. And certainly uh, UAPBC and the Ukrainian people very much wanted us uh, to, to be able to do that. But regrettably, it, it just was was seen as, as very much um, impossible at this time to start planning an event, whatever happens uh, over the coming months, we have to start planning the event now. So, so yeah, there was lots of conversations. And of course, we also brought in the BBC latterly to those conversations as well and uh, managed to, to discuss uh, the options for next year and uh, everything now has fallen into place and we're really pleased that we can now move on and find ourselves a host city for next year as well as a host country. We've talked about the conversations with UAPBC obviously now the conversations continue with the BBC how willing were the BBC to, to kind of take on the the challenge of hosting Eurovision once again you mentioned it's 25 years since they will have last done so in in 1998 by the time we get to next year's contest but they've said today you know it, it is an honor to to host the contest once again yeah and that was really the message we got um from the beginning I mean th this is something that every broadcaster uh wants to to be a part of in terms of having that opportunity and, and the opportunity to, to host the song contest usually should come with with a win of course and and you know we, we've seen huge gaps between different uh, wins you know the, the time periods between different wins and so um the fact that the bbc would be well for this opportunity i think it was a great enthusiasm amongst the bbc i mean they are one of the best broadcasters in the world and are celebrating their 100th year this year as well as a public broadcaster so they're they're, they're really a, a you know a, a for us, in terms of an EBU member, the, the 
you know, one of the, if not the oldest broadcaster and, and one of the most skilled and experienced. So to take on a, an event of this size, no, no domestic broadcaster normally produces anything of the scale of the song contest. So it's a real challenge and a real opportunity. And I think an honor to, to be asked and to, to take it on. I think we found a lot of enthusiasm within the BBC to do that. Now, some years, depending on which countries, of course, win the contest, it, it, it's obvious where the contest will be the following year more often than not. Of course, we saw there was a, a long list of potential candidate cities when the contest eventually went to Italy. Turin eventually, of course, winning the right to host the contest this year. Dave, it seems that, you know, there are so many possible options for the UK when it comes to venues that will host the contest in 2023. So what happens next from this point here and what is required of any city venue looking to host the contest? Well, what happens next is the BBC will send out uh, a document to any interested city or region in the United Kingdom that wants to host next year's contest detailing what the, the the bottom line is really in terms of the deliverables what they need to have um, as as a starting point uh, the size of the venue for example uh, the fact they need to be near an international airport uh, they need to have a certain number of hotel rooms around 2,000 hotel rooms to accommodate the, the sheer number of crew and journalists and fans who travel to to the event so that's what will happen in the next week um, that those cities and regions will, will receive that information and then decide whether they meet those uh, basic criteria, essentially. Um, and then following that, there will be some more detailed discussions and a, and a more involved bidding process over the coming weeks um, with those cities and regions. And we hope to then, by the end of the summer, have a short list that we can look at to, to find next year's host city. And what input does the, the Eurovision reference group have in that decision? We, we hear about this legendary reference group at Eurovision, you know, made up of, of different ind- individuals from different broadcasters or, or which are, you know, connected to, to the Eurovision Song Contest. At, at what stage do they kind of have their say and get involved in the process? Well, it's different every year, but normally the host broadcaster sort of filters the the various bids. So Rye last year, I think we had about 17 or 18 interested cities. They had to get them down to, to a manageable number to sort of look at, you know, who who really had the, the facilities and the, uh, the logistics to be able to stage what is the world's biggest live music mm-hmm. event. So that's what will happen this year. But essentially the BBC will, will whittle these down to a, to a shortlist and, and the reference group uh, we'll be looking at a shortlist of, of various venues with um, with really advice on, on where the, the BBC feel is the best place to host the event, but also looking at uh, the wider view of, of what the reference group and what the participating broadcasters, because that's who they represent, are looking for in, in the event as well. So that's that's really where they come in at the sort of the, the end of the process. But the, 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 the hard work is done really by the host broadcaster every year in, in finding a number of options that are suitable uh, because there's always usually more than one and it's then deciding which one of those is the optimal the most the best of those those choices dave just finally me and you were were both in turin of course this year how much are you looking forward i guess to the journey from from this point on it's july how much are you looking forward to, to getting to wherever it is we're going in, in 10 months' time and all the all the hard yards that have got to be done between now and then? 
Well, it's going to be an interesting year. I mean, it's going to be a different Eurovision. And, and we've seen, a, you know, with COVID, the cancellation and then Rotterdam and the, the return of Eurovision, it's been quite a, you know, a different few years. So to have another Eurovision that will be very special for different reasons is really exciting. So I'm really looking forward to the next 10 months. As, a, as you might have noticed, I'm British. So I'm quite excited that it's returning to Britain. My first Eurovision was in Birmingham in 1998. That's the first one I attended. So it's almost like uh, a sort of the, the circle is complete, you know, to, to return there 25 years later. So to return there working on Eurovision is a great pleasure and a great um, privilege. So I'm really looking forward to the next 10 months. I'm really looking forward to, to what the BBC will do in terms of uh, the shows that they'll create with that Ukrainian theme. Um, and yeah, what, what a British Eurovision will look like because every country has its own flavour to Eurovision, uh, puts its own mark on Eurovision. So to, to have the modern contest with its three sh live shows in Britain, um, again, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a very interesting uh, coming uh, year. Absolutely. I think it's safe to say that uh, once those tickets go on sale in uh, whenever that may be, it's going to be uh, a fair amount of interest for them, Dave. Dave, thank you so much for, for chatting and I'm sure we'll catch up plenty of times between now and May and we really appreciate having you on. Thank you. No, it's going to be great and uh, looking forward to the next Eurovision season, yeah. A big thanks there then to Dave Goodman from the EBU for taking some time out of what I imagine has been a very busy schedule for him over the last few weeks. Uh, we got a bit of an insight there, didn't we, about how it's got to this point and what the what the schedule looks like over the next few weeks and months until we find out which city it's going to be in. We know the country, fantastic, but it's the city that we're most looking forward to now to finding out where it's going to be in 2023. And make sure you get in touch with us as well at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email with all of your thoughts about today's news because we've already mentioned we're very excited. We've been telling you about where we were and what we were doing when we found out the exciting news. But what were you doing? What are your thoughts? Do get in touch and let us know because we always love to hear from you. I'll tell you whose thoughts I want to hear from. And he's just popped his thoughts on uh, on his socials. Sam Ryder? Sam Ryder! Yeah, yeah, go on then. What's he, what's he saying? He, he must be very, very excited. Well, let's have a listen. Hey friends, just a couple thoughts. It's Ukraine's party. We're just inviting them to throw it at our house. Um... I know how much it meant to Kalush and the Ukrainian delegation that Eurovision would be held at home in Ukraine next year. And I'm not the only one whose heart is heavy knowing that that can't be the case at this moment in time. But what I would love to say to anyone watching this from Ukraine is that we know how to throw a party here in the UK. And our excitement is outshone only by our focus on that one sole objective, to hold space and be on hand to help wherever needed to host an event that celebrates Ukrainian culture history and music and to stand in solidarity with the rest of the globe shining a unified light now us the rest of us are just loving facilitators and there is no doubt in my mind that we will all come together in the spirit of unity that eurovision has always been about to celebrate the wonderful people of ukraine i love you and i'll see you soon peace yeah, Sam Ryder, there he is. I miss him already. I don't know why I say I miss him. He's not gone anywhere. I just I just <laughs> miss the fact that he's not like UK Eurovision 2023. But I think it's safe to say we'll probably see him on the stage wherever we may be in May.
Yeah, I don't doubt that for a second. Uh, but now, shall we bring somebody else onto the podcast? Let's chat to somebody else about next year's event, because we know how big Eurovision is. It is watched by upwards of 200 million people a year. It's one of the biggest TV moments of the year. And it's a huge task to put this on. The BBC have got a lot to do between now and May next year. I saw, by the way, that last time the BBC hosted it, they did it with 13 cameras. Oh, wow, really? Is that all? Just 13 cameras, which seems seems quite, quite a small amount. Well, I wish you told me this about an hour ago when I chatted to somebody who may well know the answer to how many cameras they may well be using next year. Uh, Because a little earlier on today, I chatted to Fernand Frimpong Jr. He's a TV producer and knows everything when it comes to the technical side of the Eurovision Song Contest. He's got a great YouTube channel that goes in-depth about how Eurovision makes it to the air. So from outside of a very busy TV production office that he's been working at recently, I had a chat to Fernand earlier and I asked him about where he was and what he was doing when he found out today's news. Well, let's just say a quiet office was uh, suddenly randomly, I don't know, shaken up by a random guy going, oh my God. <laughs> I was seeing a sort of breaking news alert on my phone and um, understandably working in a TV production office, everyone eventually calls into the news. But um, yeah, enough to suddenly break um, a very concentrated silence of sorts. So um, yeah, so currently at work, when I heard the news, um, there was a mixture of surprise, but then also a level of, okay, this is to be expected. Um, it's been almost known and running that when, when the BBC was approached to host Eurovision, it was like, okay, there's a chance that they pretty much could take it. Of course, it came in second place. They've been the go-to country historically when it came to, when it comes to hosting the contest, whenever there was some issues. So it would almost have seemed like it was a no-brainer, but of course you had to wait and see and make sure everything was done correctly. And of course, highlighting the fact of the main reason why we are here. So um, yeah, interesting times. I want to focus on the the sort of TV and the technical aspect of it, because I remember watching one of your videos from last year in the aftermath of the 2021 contest. And one of the things that stood out to me was that you said that the chief purpose of Eurovision is to entertain TV audiences. Of course, there's an arena full of fans, but it's the TV audience that is the main thing there. So can you give us an idea about the scale of the technical production that the BBC have now got in their hands? Let's just say times have changed a lot since the last time the UK hosted back in 1998. What a different time before the internet, Web 1.0. But that gives an example as to how much the world has changed. Eurovision is huge. There's nothing like it. It is, of course, one of the longest running entertainment TV shows in the world. And also one of the biggest. Um, take 2009, for example, where they needed um, a good third, about 30 something percent of all of the, of the LED available at the time was on the Eurovision stage. I mean, of course, that was five years back, but that gives an idea as to how big the show really is. Now, the BBC, I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm pretty confident that they'll be able to handle such a show of this scale. I mean, they've done it before. The last time they hosted something remotely Eurovision was back in 2015. So is that why, do you think, the EBU have trusted the BBC with an event like this? Because the BBC do have pedigree for hosting big music events like this, I guess if we cast our minds back a few weeks at the Jubilee concert just outside of Buckingham Palace, that gives us an idea about the the back catalogue that the BBC has for hosting events like this. 
Absolutely, the, the Jubilee is a prime example of just to show the world exactly how the BBC is primed and is ready to host shows of this scale, of this nature. Um, we've seen it historically, they've been able to, they've been the go-to, and of course buoyed by the fact that we do come second place. So it almost became like a no-brainer one, a capable country that can host a show of this, as Terry Wogan called it back in 98, preposterous magnitude, and, oh, there's ice cream van, just happy as well. <laughs> and of course come in second as well but like as mentioned earlier Eurovision is a massive massive event BBC Studios of course have many people on their uh, book of uh, telephone contacts in terms of who they can call to make sure that is a successful TV event I hope the music at uh, Eurovision 2023 is better than that ice cream van going past let's uh, <laughs> let's cross our fingers for that um, but in terms of host city because we've been naturally talking about the cities that could potentially host it next year it's not just the, the capacity for the the audience inside but as well it's the the technical aspects and the, the capacity that has to be taken into consideration there for the host city as well isn't it Absolutely. It's not simply just a case of having a massive arena, sticking some cameras in there and hoping for the best and hoping the staging works out. It is a monumental technical affair. Um, massive tenders with massive companies are brought on year after year because of the availability and the um, reliability when it comes to um, the technical aspects of the event. This will actually be quite interesting, especially for Ukraine. Um, they have, uh, they're one of the leaders in terms of specialized camera technology uh, with a, a particular company called Opatech. They are famed for the famous 2D cameras, which comes up in great angle and also the sort of split rail cameras which you've seen in the past few years. And it's a, it's a nice sort of reference, of course, to Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine's technology being seen in Eurovision and of course definitely being used here. But then again, it also just shows the great scale of um, this contest. Come on then, Fernand. In, I was going to say in one word, that's evil. So <laughs> as quickly as you can then, where is it going to be? Oh dear, the last time I was actually placed in this position and I actually got a sort of prediction question, actually quite right, um, back in uh, 2021 when I was in the UCA cheeky plug. Um, <laughs> where will it be? Where will it be? Where will it be? If I, I want to say if I put my money on it, but it's a tough one. And I think it, it, anything can edge it, only because, of course, BBC Eurovision now based up in Manchester, not uh, based up in Salford. There is a huge arena out there, the biggest in the UK, hosting about 21,000 people. They're not going to have all 21,000 people, actually, of course. But being everything, being quite close to the city, we could make it work there. Then, of course, we've got the huge facilities over in Glasgow as well. It's like everything's pretty much made for it. So um, for me, if I flipped a coin, it would probably land around the edge. It would be hard to tell. But I will probably say... Glasgow. Well, Fernand, we'll come back to you in a few weeks or a couple of months' time and see whether you were right. Thank you so much for joining us to give us an idea on all the TV and the, as the technical aspects of it. Really great to have you on for a chat. My absolute pleasure. Thank you to Fernand Ben for joining us, giving us an insight into what it takes to broadcast what is, of course, the world's biggest music event. James said it a little bit earlier on. Upwards of 200 million people, and I think that's probably also the number of people that will be after tickets this year. Can you imagine the number of people that are going to be after tickets for Eurovision 2023? It's going to be uh, going to be popping off, as I think James usually says. But we're not done yet. We've got one guest left to chat to on today's special bonus episode because we've heard how you go about putting on the event. We've heard from the EBU. We've heard from Sam Ryder. We've heard the excitement of Bella Quist as well. But should we cross now to one of the potential 
host cities of Eurovision 2023. Because one of the leading contenders, one of the front runners, is the city of Leeds. Now, here on the Eurotrip, we know Leeds as the home of the Czech Act from 2022. We are Domi. That's where they met at university. You know that already. Or rather, Leeds Conservatoire, which I think is a posh name for music college. Anyway, Leeds have put their name in the hat to host this year. So I thought we'd catch up with Pete Allison. He's a reporter at BBC Radio Leeds. And I found out from him the question that we're asking all of you today. Where was he when the news was announced that the UK would be hosting Eurovision this year? Uh, so I missed it. <laughs> I was um, I was in a gym class and then I came out of my gym class to a number of techs. And having gone straight from work into this class, I feared that I'd sort of made some sort of terrible error at work or something. And that's why people contacted me. But no, the only reason they were contacting me was to... Uh, to get suggestions of of people to talk to about the dramatic news about Eurovision, uh, to which my reply was, give Rob Lilly a ring. So uh, it's, it's, it's all worked out well for all concerned. It certainly has. It certainly has. You're definitely not the only person listening to this that will have had exactly the same situation, whether they were, I don't know, in a lecture at university or they're at school or they're in a meeting at work. And then they came out, I'm sure, to countless notifications on their phone about the news of course that the UK would be hosting Eurovision. Pete you mentioned work there. Work for you is of course at BBC Radio Leeds and we've got you on because Leeds are one of the cities that have expressed their interest in hosting Eurovision 2023 and now this is where it all gets a bit real doesn't it because that is a prospect that could happen. I think Leeds expressed interest first, so therefore, by default, I think it just deserves it. Um, yeah, it, it does feel it was it was odd because the the sort of expression of interest thing that so many cities in the UK did um, felt very informal. There was no uh, request for expressions of interest at that time, uh, and it felt like the Leeds. Uh, Leeds City Council sort of fired the starting gun on that and, and a number of cities followed. But you're right, like any sort of um, vague, nebulous kind of, we'll do it, we, we could have it. Well, now you've got to go into the nitty gritty, you've got to look into the real finer details and prepare to have your city taken over for far beyond just the week it sounds like like you know four to six weeks the access to the venues kind of required for and and it's really not that far away in terms of planning something as massive as that so yeah it it really is it really is the moment now for those in charge of whatever i say bid is that is that's how it's gonna work i don't even know but um for, for those who are going to be involved in it well now you have to pull together something really concrete now you have to pull together some really fine detail and and, and prove it basically you put your hand up you said you wanted it we'll we'll prove that you can do it now and that's that's going to be no small task for for a number of these cities given the scale of eurovision and, and the amount of people that it would involve coming into the to the city now, you've been covering Leeds's interest, you mentioned it there, in hosting Eurovision pretty much from day one, from that first expression of interest when we 
a few months ago heard that Eurovision 2023 might be coming to the UK. We now know that is happening. But from day one, it sounds like, and this is the impression I get, that, that Leeds City Council are very serious about this and have thought long and hard about how they would do this as well. Yeah, that is definitely the sense that I've had um, when I've uh, <laughs> when I've forced BBC Radio Leeds to cover this in intense detail. Uh, no, there is a genuine sort of appetite for it and a genuine interest in it. But I, I think Leeds has... For anybody who's not aware of it as a city, Leeds does have um, a very sort of modern history of hosting massive events, particularly in sport. It, it held, Yorkshire as a whole held a stage of, of the Tour de France. I think you'd struggle to find anything in, in sport that kind of stretches the scale of the Tour de France. That's uh, That was... Um, within the last decade and you've also got a number of large-scale athletics events that have happened in the city as well um so there is a recent history of that which i think they will call upon in terms of the experience i think they will use that in any sort of bid to to prove their their worth but um there definitely was a sense of of willing from council there definitely was a sense of them really being willing to put the ukrainian community which there is a large one of in west yorkshire where, where leeds is and and that feels completely appropriate and absolutely right that that should be at the forefront of it and it does feel like they've made an effort to uh already put together something a bit more comprehensive in terms of proving to the organizers that they could do it talk to us about i guess what would be the venue if Eurovision were to come to Leeds you know is there an arena the size of which could host Eurovision 2023 yeah so um it's it's very clear what Leeds City Council's intention is in terms of a venue it would be what's known as the first direct arena so um Leeds arena which by most standards is a very modern arena you're talking Again, within the last 10 years, it was built. It's a very, uh, very distinctive building from the outside. It's got a lot of character. It's very modern. It's quite sort of futuristic looking. It's this sort of spaceship shaped building uh, dropped into the middle of, of the city with you know, some incredible uh, lighting. And goodness knows Eurovision likes some impressive lighting. The one key difference, and I don't know whether this will help it as a venue or hinder it, is that it isn't a traditional arena shape. So it isn't a sort of oval with a stage at one end. The way that Leeds Arena is shaped is like an amphitheatre. So you've got a stage at the bottom and then this incredibly high stretching uh, multiple tiered arena uh, amphitheatre shape in front of you. And it's basically this sort of wall of audience in front of you, which I know that uh, a lot of uh, artists really enjoy performing in that kind of environment because you're kind of really close to even the people at the very top because you if you stood on that stage you've just got people very close to you so in terms of capacity it's sort of between 12 and 13,000 usually whether it would be able to be that many when you had a giant eurovision stage and all the delegations inside of it i don't know now what happens with leeds and with these other cities that have already expressed their interest you know they now have to put the work in as you've already mentioned but I know you've got kind of a special insight into what the next little while may look like 
for some of those host venues or potential host venues because you know you have been talking to the council there in Leeds and you've got that that contact already I think it's going to be quite quick um so uh, my understanding is that they will be required to uh hand in this official expression of interest I don't know what that looks like I I don't know what it is I don't know if it's do a powerpoint or something I don't know but it is um that's going to be a really quick turnaround so I think they're looking at first week of August to have had those expressions of interest in and to be honest it seems quite straightforward it seems do you want it have you got a good venue and do you have things like hotels and venues available which most cities in the UK that's a clear yes for because all of the cities that we've heard of expressing an interest have a venue capable of it you'd think etc um and then I think they'll whittle that down. Uh, and by they, I mean the BBC, it sounds like. Um, and once that's whittled down, they'll have a short list of potential cities. It sounds like the BBC is, and I'm not talking on behalf of the BBC because although I work for them, this isn't information I've gained from them. It sounds like there is an intention to have some sort of bidding process here, which um, there's not really any precedent for that always being the case and we don't really learn much detail do we about how those cities are are chosen those host cities are chosen but it does sound like the BBC will give the opportunity to everyone to express an interest but then a smaller number to really um, put together a proper proposal Um, but it sounds like by early autumn we're going to know which city is going to be hosting Eurovision next year and yeah it it kind of it, it really wouldn't surprise me if this moves quite quickly from here. Pete, thank you so much for chatting to us and brilliant to, brilliant to have you on. Thank you so much. Pleasure. I'll talk to you when Leeds is announced as host city. Big thanks to Pete Allison from BBC Radio Leeds and safe to say that if it is in Leeds, I'll be dropping him a message because I will be after a spot on his floor. Yeah, that's what it's going to be like from now on, isn't it? Everyone's going to be figuring out if they can book an Airbnb or if they know a mate who lives in a certain city. It's going to be oh, it's going to be carnage, isn't it, between now and when we get the, the official host city announcement. Some big breaking news, though, that I can bring you on the podcast. Uh, Swindon are out the running. I know you're disappointed about oh, that news. Where were they going to host it? The, the Swindon Library? I didn't know where you were going to go with that. Uh, Swindon Borough Council have tweeted, uh, did somebody say Eurovision? Uh, We're flattered to have our name linked to such an amazing event, but we won't be bidding to host. Look forward to watching next year and can't wait to enjoy the party. That's a real shame. Uh, And then someone replied who clearly didn't read the tweet properly, which is always my favourite thing. Uh, And they said, is this a joke? Where would you hold it? Music venue for the town never happened. Not one penny of the taxpayer should be spent on this. (laughs) thank you for that at matt this paul ah yes the classic twitter reply gotta love it haven't you gotta love it yeah you do uh before we say goodbye i've got a very quick game for you uh, you can all play along with this wherever you're listening by the way uh oh you, can i you, play along yeah you can play along uh all you need to do is get a little map of the uk up have you got that um yep cool yeah, what gonna, yeah what we're gonna do is a little virtual uh pin the tail on the donkey if that makes sense Okay. So you're going to close your eyes, um, yeah. And if you're if you're on a phone, just use your finger. Uh, if you're on a laptop or something, I don't know how you listen. Then uh, then well, just I guess get you're going to use your finger as well, and aren't you, Rob? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I guess so. And what what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. Are your eyes closed? Yeah. Right now, you're going to move your move your finger or your mouse around. Just do it in a little circle or however you want to move it. 
And then in three, two, one, you're going to stop. And wherever you stop is going to be where Eurovision is going to be this year or next year, rather, 2023. Right. Okay. Give me a three, two, one, and I'm going to click. Cool. Three, two, one, click. I have clicked on... Uh, I'm zooming in because it's sort of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I've yeah. clicked on Northamptonshire. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's official, everybody. Eurovision 2023 is going to be hosted in Kettering. <laughs> you heard it here first. So James has got Kettering. Uh, I'm not a million miles away from James, although quite far. Um, Eurovision 2023, uh, if you listen to me, is going to be an Ipswich. <laughs> Uh, and let us know wherever you are at home. Maybe send us a screenshot. Where did you end up? Where is going to host Eurovision 2023, according to you, with your your mouse or your finger? What just happened there? So let us know at Eurotrip Podcast. Very excited to see what replies we get to that. Yeah, it might be Kettering, it might be Ipswich, it might be somewhere else. Do let us know. But that's it from us for today, for this week, unless there's some other massive breaking news in the next few days we won't be back with you for another couple of weeks but we will be back later in the summer with the return of the contest and me yeah very excited to be back with that last year we brought you chats with the likes of petra murder of course the host of eurovision 2016 steve rosenberg the bbc's moscow correspondent scott bryan of course the massive tv critic i'm not going to read them all because they're all massive names but great conversations all about their love of the Eurovision Song Contest and we'll bring in you some more of those combos I'm going to say combos to be done with the kids I've just said it so apparently <laughs> you've yeah. said it now yeah we'll be bringing you more of those combos I don't want to own it now I'm going to say conversations <laughs> again with some well-known Eurovision fans over the next few weeks so stay tuned for that the return of the contest and me and then after our run of the contest and me we'll be doing something new that I think you're going to enjoy but that is not until the autumn so there is lots to come between then and now indeed so keep your eyes on this podcast feed keep following us on twitter and instagram as well and get in touch with us on there as well as the email hello at eurotrippodcast.com to keep up to date with us uh, with everything we're doing until we are back with you next time don't forget to subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars don't worry, I was as surprised as you are that I remembered that line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.